Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The football is back and the wait is finally over. You might not be at the game this year, but you could still be in on all the action at BetOnline. Maybe you wagered that Ricky Renteria would use every single White Sox pitcher in White Sox history today in Game 3. You could have maybe won some money. And from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome to the pod, everyone. Today we were going to be talking just NBA Finals, but we've got a Game 3 situation that did not work out in Chicago fans' favor. The White Sox lose to the Oakland A's 6-4. to They are bumped out of the playoffs. There's a lot of talk about, so it's going to be a little bit more of a Chicago buffet today, just kind of picking along all these different little sports stories as we move along. But first, let's bring in our hoops honchos real quick and our Chicago White Sox fans. First coming up, he was used in the second inning. He was looking pretty good, but Ricky Renteria thought otherwise. It's Mike Choi. Hello, Mike. Joey, I know this is a basketball pod, but I am still absolutely seething at this elimination game for the Sox. It's okay, you're reeling, and we're going to process it, and we're going to unpack this suitcase of perhaps total, total utter bullpen bullshit. Also coming up on the pod right now, he's multitasking today. He's got the sweetest Mashad's table out, and he looks like he's working on Bam at a bio shoulder as we speak. It's Aaron Hagel. What's up, Aaron? Hi, Joey. Hi, buddy. Welcome back. I'm so glad to have you guys both back on the pod. We were here to talk about NBA Finals, but first, we got to talk about some White Sox. And we got to talk about Ricky Renteria, you know, coming into this game. We knew we didn't have a number three starter. We already knew that going in, but let's just start in the very first inning where it's something that I don't think I've ever seen. Now we have all heard of a short leash in playoff game situations, but I have never seen a guy named Dane Dunning, who is a starter going into the game, get two pop-ups for outs, two outs, two singles to center field and gets pulled in the first inning. And the bullpen is opened up from there. And honestly, it just became this crazy, insane carnival of horrors from the bullpen perspective. Uh, Choi, you're going to go first. Just your reaction to Ricky Renteria's usage of this bullpen. First of all, it started yesterday, okay? The reason you are starting Dane Dunning, a rookie pitcher in an elimination game who's only had seven career major league starts, is because he used Dylan Cease as a relief pitcher yesterday. So you eliminated the fact that you had Dylan Cease to start for you today. It just stupidity, stupidity. That, and then on top of that, it's like, yeah, the short leash, you know, facts are he got out of that first inning, right? But as we talked about, it's this residual effect that now you've pulled your starter. Now you obviously have to go to the bullpen. And as we saw, it was, it was Oprah's strategy. You get to pitch. You get to pitch. You get to pitch. And, and the thing is, on top of that, the long-term effects – uh, obviously, this is speculation, but in my opinion, you know, Crochet comes in, he gets hurt, and I believe probably one of the main reasons he gets hurt is because he didn't have enough time to warm up because it was such a quick pull of Dunning. So, uh, and then he doesn't use Incarnacion to pinch hit. This is literally the reason we brought him in as a free agent, to have a clutch hitter hit in a clutch moment, and he does not use him. I mean, 
gaffes just, left and right. I've just never seen, first of all, you know that you got a short leash on Dunning, right? I've never seen a starter get pulled in the first inning without giving up a run. I've never seen that before in any playoff scenario. So you already knew that you didn't trust him. Second of all, you're telling me that your backup plan as your long reliever is Garrett Crochet, your prized first-round draft pick, who, don't get me wrong, we all think he is sick, has a great future. I was hoping he'd be the closer in 2021. Choi, I know you were hoping that he was going to be in the rotation. But you're telling me that's your backup? He just pitched two innings, multiple innings, for the first time in his career mere days ago, and now you think you're going to get three, four innings out of this guy? Higgs, you know, your response to that and just your perspective in watching the game today because it certainly was frustrating. Well, I always think, like, elimination games in baseball are weird, right? Because the manager has to make – Wait, it's way more pitching decisions than normal. I mean, it's, how long did this game take? Four, four, four and a half four hours. Four hours? Yeah. Yes. How many pitching changes were there? So it's, it's almost just like a, it's just a goofy game. It's almost just like not fun to watch. It's not a normal game. So, no, not uh, fun to watch at all, man. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable that just this concept of, you know, we're running these guys out. And then on top of that, Crochet comes out with an injury. You know, that makes sense. That's going to slow the game down. But then they brought in Aaron Bummer who just got off the IL a couple weeks, like a week ago. They brought him in. He struggled. Mound visit, mound visit. Like, everyone got a mound visit. You know, Choi, you were texting, like, you get the pitch, you get the pitch, you get a mound visit, you get a mound visit. Really slowed the game down. And, and to your point, Hagel, do you think possibly, like, the fact that it became boring for us fans, maybe it became boring for the offensive players that needed to score runs in this game? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, some, you know, momentum in the game. And when you're just constantly just churning it out, it's like you can't, it's, it would, it's hard to get things going. And it's just unbelievable that, unfortunately, all season, this is, you know, we're going to look back on this. We're hot right now, right? We're heated. But we're going to look back on this as, you know, the season that they all came together, had put on a winning record. You know, hopefully many seasons to come, we're going to see a lot more success from this White Sox team now. But again, the stuff at the beginning of the year that really worried us was, you know, bad defense. Saw that the last two games. Saw plenty of that. Not great base running. Just undisciplined play across the board. Really talented offensive players, but maybe not the details and discipline that you need there. But more importantly, how is our manager who has never had a winning team ever in his life, how is he going to take that and work and manipulate a bullpen, be able to, to actually give these players an advantage? It didn't happen today. It didn't happen yesterday. Troy, I want to hear you hop in. But honestly, you know, this game, I'm just looking at Ricky Renteria in this game, and I'm just asking myself, can we move forward with this guy if we're going to win? I mean, I don't know. The, the bottom line is, hey, Jose Abreu has been amazing all year. Actually had a great first game. But last two games, two for 10. I, I think he left over 10 guys on base uh, these last two games. The so double play hurt in the seventh, too. Yeah, so, I mean, it's like, you know, the guy we needed to come up clutch both yesterday and today did not. Um, it's not as simple as that, but, I mean, you know, he has to shoulder some of the blame. Um, and I don't I – hate, I hate listening to guys who argue balls and strikes, but that ump today – I don't know if you guys agree <laughs> – was – Equally horrible for both teams, missing calls consistently throughout the game. And again, I don't want to be that guy, but that, that ump was horrible calling balls and strikes today. I think what it is mostly is the thing that kind of bothers me isn't so much whether the pitch is a, a strike or not. It's just be consistent. Like if you're going to have a big zone and call that outside corner like that, just call it for everybody. If you're going to have that high strike, make sure you call it the same, you know, on both sides of the coin, you know, throughout the game. Didn't really see a whole lot of that, too, as well. And look, like, the White Sox have a lot of decisions to make, right? You know, Encarnacion, let's be honest, that you mentioned 
You know, didn't see a sniff in the game, but, you know, he's probably not here next year. Kyle May, you got a decision to make. They're going to have some money to play around and get some more starting pitching. But, and again, a lot of stuff too, you know, Eloy Jimenez is hurt. Mancada for the 55th time this year, ran a ball hard, you know, ran a ball down the line and got to first or second base and got up and just could barely move. You know, he's not right either. So I think there are some health factors that weren't really helping out the White Sox in this situation, but Hey man, we had a three nothing lead and we completely blew it. And of course, Got to bring in Carlos Rodon in the fourth or fifth inning. <laughs> you just got to do it, guys. He's ready. He's ready to turn the corner. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Higgs, I just want to ask him, we're going to probably move on to the NBA Finals in just a little bit here, but, you know, from a personal perspective, did this, did this feel like that playoff atmosphere? I get it. It's super frustrating, but 60-game season, I just don't know if I'm, like, mentally ready and ratcheted up for – you know, the anticipation and the drama that comes with playoff baseball. Were you feeling it in this round, or was it kind of hard to sort of clock into that? No, I mean, it's the same way for watching the NBA, you know? Like, it's awesome watching the playoffs, but there's nothing like playoff atmosphere in any sport. So, you know, seeing the stands at the baseball stadium empty, and it's just – for me, I'm obviously super bummed the Sox lost, but out of any year, if we went to the playoffs and lost – I'll take it for this year. I mean, I'm pumped we even made it to the playoffs. A lot of people didn't even have us making the playoffs. They said next year. So, for me, the fact that we got in, I still think, you know, we should be – well, I think we know they should have won the series. They didn't. But the fact they got this far and, you know, they got some young studs and they got, you know, Brayo coming back. And I'm looking forward to them next year. So, I'll, I'll, I'm bummed, but I'll take it. Yeah, it hurts right now. It hurts in the moment. We are literally recording 15 minutes after the game ended to timestamp all this. But I'm, I'm with you, though. In about a month, we're going to get so excited for this team moving forward. Like, just the way we start talking about the offseason and we're going to see what kind of free agent moves they make. We are going to get so excited to watch some White Sox baseball next year. And I really do think, hopefully, like the 2015 Cubs, they take that next step forward and then become that perennial powerhouse that I think that we all think that they can be. Troy, I want to ask you real quick, the whole no fans really comes into play in these NBA finals postseason games, like Higgs mentioned. You know, you really start to feel it. And it's funny, I just, you know, Matt Foster kind of lost it there in the middle of the Sox game, couldn't find the strike zone, walked in, you know, walked in a guy. And typically in the postseason, when there's tons of fans in the crowd, you'd be like, oh, the crowd is getting to him. But no, the dude just lost it on his own. It's, I just want to hear your thoughts. You know what I mean? I want, to, I want to hear your thoughts, Troy. I mean, it's just weird without any fans, especially in a playoff atmosphere. Well, I, as we kind of texted back and forth before the game, I thought that might be Dunning's one saving grace, that, you know, he wouldn't have to worry about the crowd and the nervousness of being a rookie pitcher in an elimination game. Uh, we'll have no idea if that ever came to fruition because he threw 10 pitches before he got pulled. But, you know, it's like Ricky's making a move here. It's, it's amazing how contagious not being able to throw strikes are, right? Because it like none of the relievers past crochet were consistently finding the strike zone. And it just like kind of begot itself and begot itself. And so I, I can only, I mean, you, you would have thought that would have been the neutralizing factor because as we kind of spoke about, I did not realize that for the wild card round, it was entirely at the higher seeds home stadium. So, I mean, I think right there was like a huge, huge, I mean, again, I, I kind of threw the question out in our text. Is that the biggest like um, uh, disadvantage to a playoff team in all professional sports history to have to play every single game on the road? Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
obviously the uh, the lack of a crowd didn't matter. So I was gonna say uh, I I would say yes, it would be the biggest advantageous you know home field advantage ever. But there's no fans, and that would probably take me just a, a little bit underneath that, where I totally hear what you're saying, but maybe it didn't have quite the huge effect that it could have had. But I'm with you, you know. I think we would have really enjoyed at least one game of guaranteed rate field. You know, maybe a couple of those balls that died on the track in the huge cavernous Oakland Coliseum, you know, perhaps could have well, gone over the fence. Especially in baseball, where also in addition to being the home team, then that means you get the last at bat, right? So there's a different dynamic of being the whole home team all throughout that any other sport because, you know, you, you get that last at bat. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, yeah, I totally agree. But then again, it's the whole idea of being on the road. It's the whole idea of like having to go to a hotel for X amount of days as opposed to being going home, having that regular routine when it's your home stadium. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of just, as you mentioned, kind of the health issues we kind of came into this game and away from this game with. So, um, yeah, I think ultimately the lack of fans was an uh, irrelevant situation for the Sox. Yeah, and fingers crossed on the crochet news, right? When people say forearm tightness, that is subtle baseball code for elbow, sports fans. So just make sure we keep an eye on that over the next couple of days. Gosh, it would really hurt to hate a dude with such potential to a TJ surgery because that means you're not going to see him <laughs> until 2022 or who God even knows. I uh, got one more for each of you, and then we're going to move the hoops. Higgs, just real quick, let's just keep it positive. Let's just react to Luis Roberts home run. Can we just talk about that thing for a second? Cause I think it's still trap. <laughs> I think it's still traveling. It's a, that, dude, that's a bomb. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of uh Canseco's home run in the sky dome against Toronto. Yeah. Back in like the 90, it was like 90. It looked like a Off the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it went to like the fifth row. That's what it seemed like to me. The homer today was like a pop-up, but it just, I mean, he just, just destroyed the ball. Yeah, the sound was amazing. I think it was 115 miles an hour off the bat. <laughs> it just kept going. Yeah. They tried to do the uh, they tried to do the graph with the graphics of showing the apex, and the apex height of the ball actually went beyond their own graphic. It went too high. <laughs> well, and the the, the craziest thing is it did not look as impressive because of the fact of how cavernous that stadium is. I don't know if you guys have ever been to that stadium. It, it is, it is a Goliath of a stadium. Cause it's a football stadium, right? So um, yeah. So if anything, if that shot were in any other stadium, I mean, it would, yeah, it would have looked gargantuan, but it actually didn't look at least at first look that impressive because of how huge that stadium is, but yeah, he basically hit a 500 foot home run. So unbelievable. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, Troy going to come back to you. Final word on, uh, the White Sox baseball situation today is Ricky Renteria, our manager next year. I, I don't, you know, I think we're going to kind of talk about it when we talk about the Bulls coaching and maybe some of these other coaching hires, Doc Rivers in particular. Uh, I don't think he's the coach that'll get us to that next level. I think he's the coach that'll kind of, you know, be the stopgap, but I think we really need a manager of, 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 of some clout to really kind of propel us forward. Um, but I a hundred percent agree with Higgs. If there was ever a year to not potentially go to the world series, this is it. Cause it would have been our luck to win the World Series, and for the rest of our lives, we're going to have to defend uh, are they champions or not because of the shortened season. So I don't want to go through that for the rest of my life defending a Sox World Series. I want to be able to, to, to enjoy that. But, again, to your point, I mean, I'm hot because this literally just happened, but you guys are both right. The, the, the long-term knock-on-wood potential of this team, I mean, we're set up for a dynasty as long as, you know, the powers that be and health doesn't mess that up. Yeah, Ricky Renteria – Great guy. The players like him. I just, I'm with you. I think he's point A to point B and we want to go to C, right? We want to go deep in the playoffs and win a world series. 
I just don't see it happening. All the stuff that I worried about and speculated about at the beginning of the season with the bullpen situation, some of his lineups, it just hasn't worked out. And for me personally, if the Indians do move on from Terry Francona and his health is in line, I think we bring him back. Remember, he was the double-A Birmingham Barons manager for many years when Jordan was on the team in the White Sox organization. It would be a coming home for Francona, and I think that would be kind of the move. But that's a really funny thing that you brought up. Is 2020 the sports year of the hot potato? The teams, I don't want it. You don't want it. Give it. You take it. (laughs) I don't want this thing. You just let me alone. Speaking of situations, let's go to the NBA Finals, you guys. Game one was last night. I think we can all agree that the – anticipation was pretty high for this one the Miami Heat were just this you know this out of nowhere team this gelled core unit that continuously every single team that came in their path they would knock them down you know they went 4-1 4-1 in all three of their rounds and then game one last night the wheels kind of falling apart a little bit we're going to talk a lot about the injuries but Hags just uh open us up here with the NBA finals what'd you see last night from that game one because it's just in my opinion it's tilting very fast in the Lakers direction yeah, well, I mean, the Heat started off great, and then that was about it. A couple minutes later, uh, Lakers came back, and then it was kind of game over. You know, they get the three big injuries with Bam and Dragic um, and Jimmy. Sounds like Jimmy's going to be able to play, but it sounds like Dragic and Bam are probably going to be out at least the next game. And the Heat have zero, zero chance of hoping to beat the Lakers without any of those guys. If you just take one away, I think they're still screwed. I mean, you have to be at full power going against the Lakers. You have to be on top of your best – you know, you have to play your best basketball. And, um, yeah, it's just – it's going to be really, really hard for them to win without those guys. And when you're talking about the Heat story, which has just been such a great, you know, narrative all season long, the first three names you bring up are Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, and Bam Adebayo, and maybe a little Tyler Hero sprinkled in there, but – now all three of those guys are banged up. Troy, I'm going to throw it to you. I want to hear your thoughts on game one. Also, what do you think is a bigger injury for the Miami Heat right now, Bam or Dragic? Well, first of all, let me be the first to congratulate, unfortunately, the Los Angeles Lakers on their 17th championship. Um, yeah, I mean, Hagel, Hagel nailed it. I mean, you have to be at full strength to compete with this Lakers team. That's how – just the all-power mightiness of LeBron James and Anthony Davis to to compete against those guys. And now that you have definitely two guys who are potentially not going to play game two and Jimmy Butler, even though if he is going to play, I mean, you know, might be slowed down a little bit from that ankle. Um, Yeah. It's, I don't, it's over. The series is over. Um, But to your question, who's a bigger loss? Of course it's Bam. Um, You know, uh, with Dragic, you know, he's the leading scorer in the playoffs, but you can kind of recoup some of that uh, scoring, obviously, with Hero, with Duncan, if he gets his shooting back. Um, and then, you know, obviously, none was their starting point guard for most of the regular season. So, theoretically, you have a player in play who can kind of recoup those minutes, right? There's there's no replacement for Bam on that Heat team. There's absolutely none. What, what uh, Kelly Olynyk? you know, what, what are we going to get Myers Leonard Back in the lineup, I mean, no, there's nobody who can replace what Bam is. And because of that, there's nobody who can match up with AD. AD had already dominated this entire playoffs. And without uh, any semblance of a big man to challenge him now, it's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's over. You didn't need LeBron. All you needed was AD now. And it, it's over. It's over. Yeah, the, the whole theory, you know, take the injuries out, right, was 
you know, they play as a team, you know, we're just going to kind of run them out. And immediately, like you mentioned, Higgs, you know, the Heat were shooting the ball well, but then all of a sudden the Lakers in these off-ball screens didn't matter who it was, right, whether it was Danny Green or whether it was Caruso, whether it was KCP, you know, they are just getting it, shooting it. I think they had 15 threes last night. And so you're kind of looking at that from a Heat perspective and being like, all right, well, they're not going to make 15 threes. They're not going to shoot 40% from three every single game, right? And it just sort of felt like in the beginning portions, you know, the Heat were, were moving the ball, but they were kind of struggling to score a little bit. You can kind of tell that the Lakers' size was getting to them. And now Dragic, you know, plantar, plantar fasciitis tear, not good. That is not good news at all. I would be very surprised if he comes back in this series at all, you know, if they can get to five, six, seven games. Bam with a strained shoulder. I am interested to see if he could come back. Higgs, you know, walk me through it. Do you have a compelling case to say that the Heat still got a chance in this series? Are you with Choi and think that, you know, this is just, this is just going in the wrong direction for them? With, uh, yeah, with the injuries, like I said, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. But even without that, I mean – Dude, it's so hard to stop Anthony Davis. Like, I've, t- I've been telling you guys for a while, he's my favorite player. I think he's the best player in the NBA. And I'm actually, like, excited for him. He's finally getting to show the world what kind of player he is. You know, and he was with the Pelicans. He never got past the first round. So he's finally on a big stage, and he's stepping up, man. You know, that last series hit that, th- hit that three at the buzzer. Um, and they just – I don't think anybody has an answer for Anthony Davis. When he's rolling, man, and, and the Lakers know how to use him properly – no way. He's too good. Yeah, you know who doesn't have an answer for Anthony Davis is Jay Crowder. Uh, they kept trying to put him on Anthony Davis last night. And it was – I felt bad for the dude. I mean, of course, he's you know, the tough playoff season dude. He was scrapping on the floor, trying to piss LeBron off at multiple times throughout the game, you know, get under his skin. But, man, this is – I don't really know what to tell you when you've got someone on there like that. And, look, Choi, you'll understand this. Our audience members might not. But it sort of felt a little bit like when me and you play Hags in 2K. <laughs> you know, we get Domination. off. To, you know, we get Just off to a good start, domination. right? We get off to a good start. We're shooting the ball okay in the first quarter. Hags has got to call timeout. <laughs> He's got to talk about it. But then slowly but surely, if I'm counting this correctly, the Lakers outscored the Miami Heat 30, uh, 75 to 30 at one point in this game. Oh and, to start, and to start the second half, they went on a 22 to 7 run in the third quarter. I mean, that just smells like Higgs 2K basketball to me right there. Um, care to respond, uh, care to respond Higgs about, about what you, what, what you're capable of on that court. <laughs> I think, yeah, well, I think the, uh, the Lakers smell blood, man. That's, I mean, they're, 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 they're ready to chow down. Look, it's difficult, right? Because what did they do? They started AD and Dwight Howard last night and quickly they realized that that wasn't working like their big lineup. And what did they do? They just went to Kuzma and had AD, you know, handle it in the paint. And they still had, you know, that general size over the heat even before Bam went out of the game. And, I mean, so wait, let me get this straight, Troy. Are you calling sweep right now? Or do you think the heat can sneak out a game here? I, uh, I would bet on a sweep, specifically because of the injuries. If, if they were all healthy, we'll see. Maybe they would pull one out, maybe pull two out. But with the injuries, I, I, I literally think it's over as long as – and, the, and the, the sixth thing is, to your point, Joey, first of all, the Lakers are not a good three-point shooting team in general when it, in comparison to the league. So if they are now adding 
getting hot three-point shooting-wise, Danny Green finally living up to why the Lakers brought him in, I mean, that's what's scary, is that they are potentially getting hot in an element of their game that is not a typical element of their game. And the other crazy thing is, and maybe it's because everyone realizes that they're this much closer to a ring, are these guys are finally, you know, we talk about these ill-formed super teams, and then the other complementary parts don't really find their roles. These guys are finding their roles. Dwight Howard, you know, this kind of has been rejuvenated, only playing about 20 minutes a game or so, but, you know, is finally finding his role. Rondo accepting his role. You know, I actually think the biggest, if he were to come around, if Kyle Kuzma were able to come around, that because to me, I think he's actually faltered as kind of like this guy they've always hoped for being the third option. I think, what is he averaging? Maybe 12 points-ish a game? Barely 10, a little bit over 10. But the whole fact that, you know, the guy that they thought would be the third option is kind of, you know, just uh, also ran at this point. So the fact that with the three-point shooting, if Kyle comes onto his game, I mean, it's, yeah, it's over. It's over. And if you're the Miami Heat, yeah, and if you're the Miami Heat, you're like, look, you know, this isn't a great three-point shooting team. They make 15 in game one. You're like, okay, that's probably bound to happen in a seven-game series. Maybe you get that one more time, but look, they're going to come back to earth on that. And now coupled with the injuries and, like you said, other guys stepping up, the way that they're playing, you're just kind of sort of scratching your head if you're Miami and you're like, well, how are we going to get this done exactly unless, you know, you have that game where Jimmy Butler all of a sudden starts shooting the ball 25 times a game, scores 34 points, and just hits all the big shots in the fourth quarter. Higgs, are you smelling sweep as well? And if you are smelling sweep, you know, is AD – you know, is he the NBA Finals MVP front runner right now, or what would LeBron have to do to possibly wrestle that away from his teammate? Um, yeah, once again, like Choi said, if 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 there were no injuries, I could see the Heat taking two or even three games. Man, like I don't know, I, they, everyone has a bad game. Those guys usually jack threes all all day long. Hero didn't in the beginning, at least, wasn't all that great. So it was an off game for them. But with with the injuries, I. Yeah, it's gonna be really hard to 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 get a game off the Lakers, man. They look locked and loaded. They've only lost three games, for the, you know, during the whole playoffs. Same with Miami, but there was a point yesterday where Jimmy had the ball and LeBron was guarding him. I think it might have been the second quarter, and I just kind of had the feeling that Jimmy was just like, "Fuck, this is just not really going the way I thought this was gonna go." You know, he's going against LeBron, man, and. <laughs> Good luck trying to have success over him. I, I just felt in that moment he just felt a little defeated. Then he has the entire playoffs because he, he's been so good. And that's so tough, too, as well, to sort of knowing that, like, you've got your guys, you've got your rhythm, you've got this, you know, this core of dudes that come in and out of the game. you got your rotation down, and now when you start losing a couple of those dudes, you start looking around. And I feel you because that's the, that's the irony of Jimmy Butler, and this is why we fell in love with him as Bulls fans in the first place is that, his record is seven and 17 and 17 lifetime against LeBron. And you're like, oh, that's not so great. I think that's actually kind of phenomenal against <laughs> a dude like LBJ, you know. And we knew that he played LeBron better than, you know, most other guys in the league and can actually stay with him for those 40-plus minutes in a game. And he's already looking at that being like, all right, well, this is something I need to commit to. I'm probably going to be 15% less offensively. I need, like, the other dudes to step up. And now if it's a situation where – you're bringing Iguodala into the mix. You're asking Kendrick Nunn to play major minutes. Who they kind of like, they 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 were forsakening. He was forsaken for like a long time now in this whole bubble situation. They don't really give him heavy minutes. 
It's kind of looking around and being like, I'd like to think that the Heat would be able to pull off one game, but man, it is going to be really, really tough, especially the way that Anthony Davis is playing. And you know, LeBron's going to have want to have one, you know, super monster game. He had, kind of had, he did have a monster game last night. What do you have? 25, what was it? 25, 13 and nine. He's basically been averaging a triple-double these playoffs, which we have, you know, we, we, we praise Luca as he should be praised for doing that, right? And it, we, we, it's, it's kind of the Jordan syndrome, right? We take these guys so for granted that these numbers, which are actually if any other player put up these numbers, we'd be like, oh, my God, this is the best player in the world. And currently LeBron James, whatever we want to say is, whether we like it or not, still the best player in this planet. Um, but can I real quick? I know we're I know we're all putting the final nail in the Heat's coffin, and I don't want to take us off too much of a tangent. But can I just give props to Eric Spolstra real quick? I mean, we kind of shared some texts earlier about this, but is he the most underrated head coach in maybe all of sports? I mean, the guy has two NBA championships, went to four uh, finals in a row. He's been with the Heat since 1995, starting out as a video coordinator. And behind Pop, he's the most tenured coach in the NBA. Um, and I just don't think this guy gets his due. I don't, I don't know why that is. But, like, just from the tenure standpoint, just from, like, you know, he's got a career 591 winning percentage, going to the finals, having multiple NBA championships. I know he did that with the super team and LeBron and Wade and Bosh. But, but still, this guy, I don't ever feel like Spolstra is ever in the conversation for best coaches in the league, much less all time. I, I sort of feel like you answered your own question, right? Because when the super team came around, we refused to give him any kinds of credit. And as we began to realize as these super teams came together that it isn't always the easiest thing in the world and you need to have a coach, you know, look at what was his name, Blatt on the Cavs or whatever. Just look at that situation where you do need a guy that's going to be able to navigate the ship towards the championship and you deserve credit for that. And I don't think Spolstra did. And then afterwards, after the super team broke up, no one cared about the heat anymore, but they still kept winning games Were 500 teams. And now, look, they're back in the NBA Finals. Higgs, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on Spolstra. Um, overrated, underrated, properly rated? No, totally underrated. And I was, I'm, I, I'm guilty being one of those people that had him underrated until I think the playoffs started. I read some article about Miami. I didn't know that his dad was a coach also. And I was like, oh, okay, he comes from like a coaching background. Um, and, yeah, I didn't know. I mean, really, I, you know, not a huge LeBron fan going to the heat when he went back to Cleveland, I was cool with it. So I didn't give a shit about the heat at all. So I didn't pay attention to anything coming out of Miami about the heat, but I didn't know that Pat Riley's like really hardcore about creating like a family there, so to speak, basically modeling it after the Spurs, which I think is the best sports organization and basketball, if not all American sports, because it's continuity. Right. And they do treat it like a family and everybody's working towards a common goal. And when I read that about how hardcore Pat Riley was about putting out a team every year that's competing and not tanking, I mean, you got to respect somebody like that, no? And, and, and leaving Spolstra in there and guiding him has been huge. I mean, think about that. Spolstra is being groomed by one of the best coaches of all time. So it's pretty cool. And I give uh, Spolstra a lot of credit, and I did it before. Yeah, and the balls on Pat Riley, too, as well. To Remember when Spolstra was the coach? They were like, they need to fire him, and Pat Riley's – he's Pat Riley's puppet, and he's pulling the strings from the, the top, and he doesn't know what he's doing. And then 
Well, behold, you know, he's still standing around. It looks like he's a pretty damn good coach. Hop in, Choi. Well, and also to Spolster's credit, I would, I would contend that this is one of the best coaching jobs of a head coach in NBA history. I mean, I was kind of looking back at what, what would you guys say Jimmy Butler is roughly about a top 15 ish in that range NBA player, right? You know, between. Yeah, maybe, maybe you could make a case that he's in the 12 to 15 range, but from a fantasy perspective, he's definitely 15 to 20. Yeah. Right. So he's he's in there, you know? So I was, I was looking back at all the championships, um, people, the teams that made the finals, much less won the championship. You'd have to go all the way back to the 2005 Detroit Pistons team that won the championship with Tayshawn and Rip to find a team that made the finals that did not have a consensus top 10 player on their squad. So the fact that he, that he did this, much less with the whole COVID situation and so forth, I, I actually think it's sneakily one of the most amazing coaching jobs you'll find in NBA history. And it's definitely a situation where I think he de- deserves to start getting some credit, you know, and, you know, just thinking about, continuity in organizations in the 2021 NBA finals. Let's talk about our Chicago Bulls. Uh, two things, two things that we are lacking right now and that we are searching, but you know, this is a little bit late news, but we're still feeling the buzz. I think a little bit from the Billy Donovan hiring Higgs. I want you to go first. I just want to hear your thoughts on, you know, do you think it's a good move for the organization? Did you like Billy Donovan before? Or do you just, you know, are you, are, do you like the situation just more because he's now on the Bulls? Uh, you know, initially I texted you guys and I, and I initially did not like it. And I think primarily because he's a name and out of everything I'd been reading about who the Bulls are interviewing for the head coaching position, it was, you know, different assistant coaches and whatnot. It wasn't an established coach. So I think I was just surprised by that. But after I settled down, um, yeah, I'm really pumped, man. I liked Billy Donovan of Florida before he went to OKC. I was a fan of his, you know, I wasn't like a Florida fan necessarily, but I thought he ran a good program. He won back-to-back championships with Horford and Joe. Um, and he did about as good as he could possibly do in OKC, especially this year. Nobody, the nobody we had them. The thunder, yeah. Yeah, nobody had them going to the playoffs, myself included. I thought they were going to be just terrible this year. I thought Chris Paul was going to throw a hissy fit about getting sent to Oklahoma City. And, he, you know, it's not where he wants to be. And they shocked the hell out of me. He did, yeah, he did a, as good of a job as he could have. And him coming to the Bulls, I'm pumped, man. Yeah, we got a good young team. We, these guys need structure. And I, I read that Levine's pumped about him coming, which is cool. So, I mean, as long as the guys are excited, as long as Jim Boylan is no longer in the building, I'm happy. Joe, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Billy Donovan, now the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. I was ecstatic because it was a surprise hire, mainly because it was a surprise uh, I don't know if he technically got fired or if they parted ways, but it was surprised uh, that he left Oklahoma. But like his resume is, in my opinion, pretty impeccable. You know, it's 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 a guy who brings instant st- stability and credibility. Um, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, there's a kind of re- a regurgitation of kind of the text that we had. But we talk about a guy who is still relatively new to the league. Um, as we talked about, you know, his final recruiting class at Florida only just graduated college this year. So he still has that new car smell. But the thing that I love, I really love, is that, you know, we bring any of these ACs who are up for the job, um, there would definitely be some growing pains, right, becoming a head coach for the first time. I like the fact that he's still relatively new. He's proven what he could do at OKC, and he's now 
fully formed as a coach, head coach. So he's not going through the head coach growing pains. Obviously, there'll be growing pains to be with a new organization. But I love that he's got that experience under his belt. And, you know, as Haig said, it, unanimously, other than some recent comments by Scotty Pippen, who kind of questioned the hire, but pretty unanimous in terms of, like, you know, being well-received in terms of the hire. Um, and at the time, you know, uh, you know, we can argue a little bit about if Doc Rivers would have been a better fit or not. Um, but at the time of, of, of his hire, he was, in my opinion, the best candidate available. I know, you know, we talk about Kenny Atkinson being kind of one of the hot commodities of potentially being considered the head coach. If you like Kenny Atkinson, you better love Billy Donovan because he's a better version of Kenny Atkinson, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, so I, it's static and love it. And, um, yeah, looking finally looking forward to – uh, you know, somebody who's got some competency at the head coaching position for the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, and it made a great point with Atkinson and Billy Donovan. You know, the grinders, the gym rats, the guys that are always in there. And, and I'm with both of you guys, especially Higgs, where it wasn't that I didn't like it at first. I just had to take a step back because I knew who the dude was, which is something that I couldn't honestly say for the past Chicago Bulls hires. I mean, we were, we were discussing it. I mean, they've only hired one coach with actual coaching experience. Scott Skiles since 1985, everyone else, it was their first rodeo. I mean, this is just going to feel different. And my favorite part about it is when these guys win big in college and they come up to the pro game, that is the biggest question. That is always the hot take narrative of can he transfer his coaching style to the NBA game? And as you guys have already mentioned, you know, over 600 winning percentage. And the dude has proved that he can mold his style over to the, you know, over to that part of the game. And the other part that I like about it as well is the stuff that I keep hearing is that, you know, he's got energy. I do like his personality. I think it's the best personality we've had as a coach, you know, God, in over a decade. I mean, I love Tibbs, but he wasn't like soundbite city. You know what I'm saying? So he's a guy that's going to actually talk to you in detail about what he likes and what he doesn't like about players. You know, we looked at what happened to Lou Dort and SGA this year with the Thunder. He actually has shown that he can develop some players and turn them into guys that can actually help out a team. And I just think that this is all sort of pointing in the right direction. I do like, again, that we went out and we got Kornisovas, and now we're going out and we're getting an established coach. You know, we're just doing things differently. And I just have to remind myself that as Bulls fans, and from my perspective, you know, I just got to kind of look at things a little bit further away because we're just so low. We're just so at the bottom of the barrel that, you know, I just feel like Billy Donovan and the fact that he can – draw up plays out of timeouts and the fact that he, his teams lead the league in defending threes and opponent three-point field goal percentage. This is all modern stuff that is interesting and exciting to me. I just kind of can't wait to see what it looks like when he gets these players under his, under his helm. Go ahead, Choi. Well, and as we kind of talked about just a little bit earlier and in previous pods as well, one of the major things a head coach in today's NBA has to do is deal with personalities. So we already know that he can do that with his one year with Durant, his multiple years with Westbrook, his this season with Chris Paul. So we know that he can handle and manage personalities, um, which, uh, you know, now we got Zach Levine saying, you know, hey, give me a couple more years and I'll, people will be considering me like Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell, which right. is, it, it's wishful thinking, Zach. But no more talking, Zach. No yeah, more talking, yeah. please. So, you know, um, yeah. So I, I think that's, it, you know, on top of his X's and O's, is maybe one of his major qualities that he brings to this organization in today's NBA. And look, we're going to be talking about the Bulls and Billy Donovan a whole lot coming up over the next couple of months, but Higgs, we're going to get you out of here on this. Uh, Billy Donovan, you know, 
over the last couple of days, you know, Dan Tony's left. You know, Doc Rivers has now left. Looks like he's going to go to the 76ers. Are you happy still with the Donovan move, or did you kind of wish maybe that, you know, the revolving, the musical chairs of it all might have brought, you know, Doc Rivers home? No, no, I'm, I'm not the biggest Doc Rivers fan. I don't like dislike him, but I don't love him. I wouldn't have liked him for the Bulls. I mean, it'd be a cool story for him to come home, but um, yeah, I just think Billy Donovan's going to do a good job, and I think he's great at bringing talent out of young guys, and I think he's going to finally um, unlock the the real potential and the beast inside that is Cristiano Felicio. <laughs> oh, so buddy, are you sure about that? Are you sure you don't want to open up that Pandora's box? Because once it is open, you cannot shut it. Well, plus, this is, I think this is finally his last year of his contract, so they're going to have to make a big decision about a contract extension and – you know, maybe somebody matching him on the open market. And that's why we had to sign that four-year deal in the first place because they were afraid that somebody's going to take Felicio away from the Bulls, you know. <laughs> yeah, what's that Don thing where, you know, playoff, playoff Rondo hates being called Playoff Rondo. It's the same with Playoff Felicio. He doesn't like it because it's just, you know, he's more than that. He's more of a player than that. Uh, Joy, final thoughts on are you happy that it's Donovan instead of Doc Rivers? Do you wish that maybe that could have been something that might have happened for the Bulls? and? Obviously, the arrow's got to be pointing up for you, right, with the Bulls' future? I mean, again, Aaron alluded to it. Any living, warm body that they would have brought in would have been an upgrade at the head coaching position. Um, but, yeah, love Donovan. You know, uh, part of me, it would have been interesting if we would have prolonged the uh, head coach hire another week or two, right, to see how much or not Doc Rivers would really come into play. Um, but you know, that that's all under the bridge, right? It's Billy Donovan's the Billy Donovan era. So let, let's, uh, let's stick with that. Um, you know, I question for you guys, like uh, who is Billy's biggest reclamation project on the bulls? I would, I would, it'd have to be Lori in my opinion, right? A guy who was drafted pretty high and who was kind of counted on to be a number one. I don't know if he's ever going to be a number one, but I think under the right tutelage can be a number two on a team. Um, given that so I, I to me it's it's Lori for sure will kind of represent how well Billy Donovan uh, changed this program around that's a great question Hanks who do you got your eye on uh, specifically on the Bulls that you'd like to see Donovan take under his wing no I, I 100% agree with Choi Lori Markinen is supposed to be the stud I think he is he's big and strong man and that guy could jack threes and last year he just did not look like himself and I think there is a good player there, but of course, Boylan and Hoiberg didn't really know how to utilize him. And Donovan, once again, is a good coach. I think him and his coaching staff are going to take a look and, and set him up for success. You know, he's a different kind of a player. He's a big dude, but he's a shooter, almost like a Dirk. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to compare him to Dirk, but kind of in that Dirk mold a little bit. Definitely. And they just have to, and I think Donovan will find a way to get him going. I was going to compare him to, and not the same style, but just what the Thunder got out of Danilo Gallinari this year. You know, a, a stretch dude who isn't exactly the most physical guy, but he's got length and height and can shoot. That sounds like Laurie Markkinen to me. And, man, if we can get him turned around the right direction, at least, you know, get him back to that borderline all-star status that he was there, I think that's going to be a huge boost. Uh, I'm just going to zig for the sake of zagging. I'm looking at Wendell Carter. I just I like his potential so much, and I think he's been so misused on this team, and he's been hurt consistently throughout his Bulls career. I just want to see what this player looks like, you know, in an offense that makes sense and where he actually gets touches and he gets offensive opportunities where he's not just, like, cleaning up the glass and looking for putbacks and just trying to play help defense on the other side of the ball. I just want to see what this dude's ceiling looks like. 
Also keep in mind, Wendell Carter is going to be a restricted free agent at the end of this next year. So we're going to have to make a decision on him. So I want to see his usage rate go up. I want to see him used properly. I want to see what we got with him because I think we all can agree when we drafted him, you know, he wasn't my favorite pick, but I also thought he was the safest pick. And I thought that he was a dude that's going to develop quickly. That just never happened. I want to see Billy Donovan take him under his wing and hopefully bring him along too as well. So we will see what happens. Guys, I got to get you out of here. It's so great to talk to you. But guess what? We're going to be talking more Bulls basketball coming up and a lot more Chicago sports. I don't know how much more baseball we're going to get a chance to talk about. South side's done for the season. <laughs> North side's uh, up against the wall tomorrow. So we'll see what happens there. But for Mike Choi and Aaron Hangel, my hoops honcho. So great to talk to you guys today. I'm Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. This episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Thank you so much for listening. We're coming back with some more great stuff probably early next week. So make sure you stick around and check that out. Until then, go Bears and, uh, you know, White Sox, <laughs> great season. And <laughs> we'll see what happens. NBA draft. NBA draft, baby. Oh, we're coming back. We're going to be doing a big one. November 18th, sure. I think. There, mark your calendars, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to do multi-pods on that one. We're going to be breaking down prospects like nobody's business. So make sure you check that out. Until then, be well, be safe, be good to each other, and we will talk then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.